Welcome to MattCast, a podcast from the Department of Media and Communications at St. John Fisher College. I'm Dylan McCoy. I'm a senior double major in media and communications and political science. I was actually a guest on MattCast earlier this semester discussing my internship experience in the United States Senate in Washington, D.C. last semester. I also hosted MattCast almost a year ago when I interviewed Dr. Kathleen Donovan, from our political science department here at St. John Fisher College, looking forward to the 2020 presidential election. Today, Dr. Donovan returns to talk about the state of the Democratic primaries and and whether she will revise her view of the November elections. But first, let's find out what's been happening in the Department of Media and Communications. A reminder to students that the deadline to apply for the Jack Paulvino Communication Scholarships is Thursday, March 19th, at 12 noon. Complete details can be found in your email and in the bin outside Professor Sarakin's office. A special thank you to Megan Mack, who conducted the Improv Lessons for Life workshop on Thursday, March 12. The Department of Media and Communication was a sponsor for the event, which took place in Cleary Auditorium. If you missed the webinar on the new master's degree in strategic communication, the program is available on the Media and Communication Facebook page and on our YouTube channel. And while you're on our social media, be sure to check out our new episodes of the Malloy Sports Review and For Your Entertainment. Cardinal Television always welcomes new members, and we produce new shows every week. Stop by Basil 202 and see Cecil Felton for more information. And that's what's been happening in the Department of Media and Communication. Welcome back to MattCast. I'm Dylan McCoy. My guest today is Dr. Kathleen Donovan. Dr. Donovan is a professor in the Political Science Department here at Fisher. She teaches in the area of public opinion in media and politics. Dr. Donovan is also a frequent contributor to the local media where she comments on elections and candidates. She joins us today to talk about where the Democratic primary stands after Super Tuesday and Super Tuesday Part 2. Dr. Donovan, welcome back to MattCast. Thanks for having me back. So, so much has happened since we last spoke about the primaries back in March. And I want to know, before Super Tuesday on March 3rd, what was your analysis of the presidential election? Before Super Tuesday, uh, it was looking like a very close race. I was honestly pretty surprised by how poorly Biden did in those first early states um, and how well Sanders was doing. He was definitely overperforming some of the expectations, um, and Biden was very much underperforming. The other candidates uh, were sort of in the middle of the pack, uh, right? And I think Iowa in particular was very interesting because it was sort of a hot mess. Uh, There was no clear winner for a very long time. And typically when you look at primaries, winning Iowa is really helpful because it gives you all this momentum. And sometimes you see candidates sort of unexpectedly win or do well in Iowa, and that propels them to do better in subsequent primaries. But um, Pete Buttigieg, who uh, I, I actually can't even remember if he came in first or second in Iowa, but it was it was very close, right? He did very well, and he just didn't get any of the bump that you normally get from winning Iowa because the the actual counting of votes was a mess. So, um, you know, so there was a lot of uncertainty, and uh, the state was really in a lot of flux up until I think more recently. And you mentioned that you were surprised about how former Vice President Joe Biden did. What surprised you about how well he did uh, on Super Tuesday? 
He, so I'm an avid supporter of 538. I'll just make a plug for them um, to all of your listeners. Uh, I think they do a very good job of analyzing the polls and making good forecasts and, and making those uh, with sort of uncertainty, sort of saying, you know, we, this is our best guess, but we don't exactly know. And looking at the polls going into Super Tuesday, um, Biden had clearly started to bring back some of that momentum back to his side. But he really did well, like, again, sort of in to the extent that he underperformed expectations in those early states, he really overperformed on Super Tuesday. And, and he needed that, uh, honestly. If he had done anything less than that, I think he would have been in, in real trouble um, because because of the nature of the primaries and them being sequential, momentum is a, a real thing um, in these elections. Were you also surprised about how Senator Sanders did? On Super Tuesday? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, so Biden was 100% helped by Buttigieg and Klobuchar dropping out. There haven't been too many polls like this. And the last one I've seen was several months ago. But um, it, it basically asked Democratic voters, you know, who is your primary choice? Who's your first choice, I should say? And then who's your second choice? And it wouldn't be surprising to see that the second choice of, uh, you know, Buttigieg's and Klobuchar's voters was mostly Biden, right? They're sort of seen as the moderate candidates. And so them dropping out and also full-throatedly endorsing Biden was incredibly helpful for him. Uh, and... On the other side, you had Sanders and Elizabeth Warren was still is was still in the race. Excuse me, at that point in time, um, and again, most of Warren's supporters, if they couldn't vote for Warren, would have gone for Sanders. So I actually think you know just based on actually things around Biden and Sanders, um, Warren staying in the race, but a judge and Klobuchar dropping out, uh, and all of those voters having to sort of reassess. Um, you know, Biden really was was helped by that. And Sanders, I think, um, was continuing to fight for voters with Elizabeth Warren. And so he just, you know, I mean, he got, uh, he got his home state and, uh, maybe one other place, you know, it was not, it was not a good night for him. Um, and apparently he's set to make an announcement later today. Yes. So it sounds like things may have taken a, a bad enough turn for him. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So you did mention briefly the endorsements uh, Vice President Biden received from Mayor Pete and Senator Klobuchar. Could you go more detail about how those endorsements played into his victory on Super Tuesday? Yeah, I think, um, <laughs> so if I were a Bernie Sanders supporter, um, I would see that as more evidence of the establishment being stacked against him. I mean, because it's not just Buttigieg and Klobuchar. It was James Clyburn in South Carolina, and it was Harry Reid in Nevada, who's the former Senate Majority Leader. Um, you've had all of these people come out of the woodwork and support Biden. And, and it is. It's really, I think, the Democratic Party saying to themselves, we think Biden is the best chance for winning in November. And maybe they also just policy-wise uh, agree with him more than they do with Sanders. It's tough to know sort of how much each of those are a factor there. But, um, you know, and saying like, look, we need to sort of rally around behind this guy um, and make sure that he wins the nomination. And so, like I said, if I was a Sanders supporter, I would be a bit frustrated by that. Um but yeah, it was incredibly invaluable. Just look at Minnesota, um, Amy Klobuchar's home state. Um, Biden ends up winning that state when obviously he was not projected to do so. And uh, that 
you know, that he owes that state to Amy Klobuchar, right? Mm -hmm. he, he doesn't win that state without her dropping out and endorsing him. So on top of Super Tuesday last night, Senator Sanders received a big defeat on Super Tuesday number two. How do you see Senator Sanders coming back from his losses last night? It's, um, I, again, I, I, I'm using mostly 538's projections. What I like about them is that um, they not only sort of give forecasts based on the current polling and their current modeling, but then they also play with different scenarios. And even in scenarios where they're giving Sanders, like everything's going right for him, he is still very unlikely to get to the, to the convention in the summer with a majority of the delegates. Just the math is mostly like not going to happen for him at this point. It's it's very difficult to imagine a situation. There are some interesting things in flux. I mean, we do have two um, older candidates. I mean, Bernie Sanders had a heart attack while on the campaign trail. Mm -hmm. So there's always a concern. Something like that could obviously throw a wrench into the process. Uh, coronavirus right now, um, both Sanders and Biden canceled their rallies. Um, uh, last night, I guess it was, uh, or the day before, uh, out of concerns with the coronavirus. And so there could be some sort of exogenous shock that really shakes things up and changes things. But um, absent something like that, the math just isn't there. Um, he, you know, Biden, again, Biden needed to have a big Super Tuesday, and he did. Mm -hmm. So do you anticipate uh, Senator Sanders and Vice President Biden Biden, excuse me, announcing their running mates before the convention? And if so, who do you think they would pick? Um, that has typically been the practice. Uh, and, you know, sometimes you see them sort of announce their uh, running mate right before the convention to try to extend the media coverage, right? Because then it's like, ooh, somebody new, you know, let's find out about them. Um, so, yeah, I would, ex I would expect an announcement before the convention either way. Um, you know, demographics are important. Uh, and so uh, I think particularly given Hillary Clinton's failed run in 2016 and the fact that you had some strong female candidates uh, this time around in the Democratic primary, I think I, I would not be surprised at all to see that uh, both of them pick a female candidate of some sort. Um, they may also be interested in getting some racial diversity as well. But, uh, you know, if I were to name specific names, the ones that I've seen thrown around that are pretty plausible um, are uh, Kamala Harris, uh, mm -hmm. who was also running, uh, senator from California, uh, Stacey Abrams, who is kind of like a Beto O'Rourke, you know? <laughs> she got a lot of national attention right. for a statewide race that she lost, and mm -hmm. you're like, oh, okay. But Georgia is has been a red state for a long time, and the fact that she made it competitive, yes. um, I think, um, brought a lot of attention, uh, people's attention to her. Um, even Amy Klobuchar right. uh, could be chosen by, by Joe Biden, right? Um, for Bernie Sanders, there's... Um, uh, Nina Turner has uh, been sort of a key campaign surrogate and campaign manager for, for Sanders, and I see her name thrown out quite a bit. Um, for me, if I were in his campaign, I would be a little nervous about that because uh, 
we don't have to go back very far in time to think of another presidential candidate who chose an, a relatively unknown right. female uh, by VP, <laughs> and uh, her lack of experience uh, really became a serious problem for that campaign, yeah. and that, of course, would be Sarah Palin. Right. <laughs> um, and so if I were in Sanders' campaign, I keep seeing Nina Turner's name, and you're like, who is this woman? Mm-hmm. You know, she was an Ohio State's uh, legislator. Right. Um, I just would be very nervous about her ability to handle the pressure and the spotlight and the intense scrutiny that comes from national media um, for someone like that. Um, But, um, you know, and I think also for Sanders, Elizabeth Warren is sort of an obvious choice Mm -hmm. as well, again, because ideologically they are um, much more similar. Um, So, yeah. I've also seen Congresswoman um, Cortez's name thrown around as well since she's been... A big supporter of his. Yeah, that would be a heck of a rise, too, right? <laughs> From bartender to uh, vice congresswoman yeah. to vice president. Yeah, that's the American dream right there. Yeah. she's She would be an interesting choice because I think more so than any of the other names we've thrown around, she's very polarizing. Yes. Like, Democrats love her and Republicans really do not like her. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know. You know, I th- the question always in campaigns is... Is your campaign about mobilization and just getting out the base, or is it about persuasion and trying to bring in those independent, moderate voters? Uh, You're literally seeing that play out right now with the Democratic primaries. Sanders Mm -hmm. is the mobilization guy, right? Like, I'm not going to, you know, he's not going to win over independence. And Joe Biden is saying, nope, that's the best way to win an Mm -hmm. election. And, you know, it's it's unclear. But I think if he were to pick someone like AOC, then you are clearly running hard on a mobilization-only strategy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like, you are not going to win over new voters with her. So I was going to ask you which candidate do you think will win the nomination, but... It seems like everybody is now assuming that Joe Biden is going to win the nomination. Um, So I just want to ask, how do you think former Vice President Joe Biden will stand against President Trump? Um, So I've actually looked uh, on occasion at some of the head-to-head polls. Uh, There are already lots of polls out there just saying hypothetically if the election was between Trump and Sanders or between Trump and Biden. And... um, Biden has a, you know, small, like one to two percentage point, but consistent lead ahead of Sanders in those head-to-head polls. Um, Both on average tend to show both the Democrats winning against Trump. However, most, A, most of those polls are only of registered voters. Right. um, And registered voter polls, this is getting real wonky, but they tend to be, have sort of a Democratic bias. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you can always subtract a couple percentage points from registered voter polls Mm -hmm. compared to likely voter polls, which is really what we care about. Um, so that's that's part A. And part B is, yes, these candidates are fairly well known, but it is still a long ways away, right? We mm-hmm. still have the general election to get through and things can come out, things can change. Um, and so they're not super strongly predictive of the actual outcome in November. But nonetheless, it's, it's what we have at this point in time. And so, um, you know, when I look at that and I see sort of Biden getting better numbers than Sanders, right, again, like as the party... Uh, then that's who you would want to go with, right? Um, I, I think you'd ask me specifically, like, what's going to happen in November or if I have predictions in November? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I <laughs> I was going to say I learned my lesson in 2016, but I, 
I take that back because I, I did learn my lesson in the sense of being overconfident in predictions. I think that was a huge mistake that the media made. But in political science, we're data-driven. We look for patterns. And it's messy. It's never 100%, right? Like you're never going to predict everything 100 with 100% accuracy. And so for me, this is a really interesting test case after the 2016 election to mm -hmm. say like, well, here are the things that we know are true about elections and that predict winners. Yes, 2016 didn't work out based on what we know mm -hmm. typically happens. Um, but 2020 should, mm -hmm. right? I mean, unless we have to throw out a lot of rules, um, and so, so for me, from a political science perspective, that's like the really interesting part is sort of like, okay, you know, like on one hand, the economy, well, the economy had been doing really right. well. <laughs> we'll see. It could take a turn, of course, but for most of his admin, Trump's administration, the economy is doing great. So that's great news for Trump. On the other hand, his approval rating is not that great. Yeah. Sort of stuck in the low 40s. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, so that bodes well for, uh, for the challenger, um, Mostly, we've been electing presidents for two terms recently. There's a few exceptions, but generally, we give people eight years. So, mm -hmm. you know, so there's some really interesting data points, and it'll be um, it'll be interesting to see how it happens. I think it's going to be close, no matter what. You know. Um, Before we go, I just want to ask you if you had to pick today who the winner is going to be, who would it be? I don't. I I I do think it would be Biden. Okay. I, I think it's Biden based on the fact that there are some bad signs about the economy and his approval rating is just too low. Mm -hmm. And he's made no efforts to expand the vote beyond the base. But Biden also smells a little bit like Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. He's not, he doesn't drive a lot of enthusiasm. And so it is entirely possible that despite these indicators, just people aren't excited to go out and vote for him and they stay at home, which is partly what happened in 2016. Right. Well, thank you, Dr. Donovan, for sharing your perspective on this important election. And it's always, it's happy to talk to you about this. Yeah, I always love talking politics with you. Thanks. MatCast is a production of the Department of Media and Communications at St. John Fisher College. Listen on SoundCloud or subscribe on Apple Podcasts and like us on social media so others can find and enjoy these conversations. Jenna Ferrari is our audio producer. What's Happening Today was read by Jahari Del Cruz. Our original theme music was composed and performed by Dr. Joseph Lupicaro. Jordan Proietti designed our logo. Lauren Vicker is our executive producer. And I'm Dylan McCoy. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.